break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch-Out, 2nd of March, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. And on today's show, we will be addressing the State of the Union that happened in the United States last night. Last night, President Joe Biden gave his first official State of the Union speech. Overall, Biden's presentation represents a surrender to the most reactionary forces in our society, the military-industrial complex, the so-called business community more broadly, the police, and the opponents of public health. It signaled an extremely minimalist legislative agenda and was mainly a repackaging of previously stated policies. While the president stated, as they always do, that the State of the Union was strong. The overall speech speaks to the total political gridlock in the country and the inability of the political elite to solve any of the pressing challenges facing the U.S. and the world. The speech started with about 10 to 15 minutes of rally-around-the-flag-style rhetoric regarding the crisis in Eastern Europe. Most of what Biden said was not new. was mainly fulminations against Russia and laudatory statements about Ukraine. He singled out the role of sanctions and suggested the impact of sanctions would only be on the Russian people and not affect the world economy, which is a dubious proposition. Biden also noted that in his view, the crisis had strengthened NATO and the EU as pro-U.S. blocs. And he went off script to note that President Putin had, quote, no idea what's coming in terms of further sanctions. And this was coupled with the announcement that all U.S. airspace would be close to all Russian flights. Biden pledged billions more in aid to Ukraine, $6.8 billion, but stated clearly NATO will not be directly involved with troops, planes, and ships, at least in terms of directly confronting Russia, unless Russia tries to continue past Ukraine and to other NATO nations, which, as of yet, there is zero indication of. Biden also notably did not make any real call for peace or negotiations. He also engaged in quite a bit of revisionist history, refusing to acknowledge the 30-year eastward push of NATO as a mitigating factor and saying that Russia had refused all diplomatic overtures. And clearly, both of those things are at best misrepresentations. It's well known that Russia might react with military force if NATO continued its eastward push as an explicitly anti-Russia alliance. It's actually been known for quite some time. Case in point, in 2008, The U.S. ambassador to Russia at that time, William Burns, wrote to his superiors in the State Department that in conversations with Russian officials about NATO expansion, quote, Foreign Minister Lavrov and other senior officials have reiterated strong opposition, stressing that Russia would view further eastward expansion as a potential military threat. NATO enlargement, particularly to Ukraine, remains an emotional issue for Russia, but strategic policy considerations also underlie strong opposition to NATO membership for Ukraine. In Ukraine, these include fears that the issue could potentially split the country in two, leading to violence or even some claim civil war, which would force Russia to decide whether to intervene. End quote. Hmm. Sound familiar? As for the issue of Russia rejecting all diplomatic options, that's clearly not true. What happened is, is Russia's diplomatic red lines were rejected by the West and diplomacy broke down. But saying that that means that Russia refused to accept any diplomatic option is, again, at best, deeply misleading. 
However, the strong bipartisan cheers for all the saber rattling by Biden also raises a deeper point. Rumor has it that Biden will ask for $800 billion for the Pentagon this year. That's the most ever. It's worth noting as well that in the most recent national defense strategy, it explicitly calls for more money to counter Russia and China. So for certain, the reaction around Ukraine seems to reflect that Biden will use the Russian actions to justify the massive defense budget. As always, stated immortally by Tupac, they got money for war, but can't feed the poor. Which leads to the other main chunk of Biden's speech, which was a repackaged version of his Build Back Better plan, spun as a quote-unquote anti-inflation plan. The messaging of it is clearly aimed at the leaders of the pro-poverty majority in Congress that blocked all of these bills in the first place, namely Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. Manchin in particular had echoed the statements from the Business Roundtable, the largest lobbying group for Fortune 500 companies, that the Build Back Better plan would drastically increase inflation and make the deficit unsustainable. So by framing the proposals as an anti-inflation plan and noting that he has reduced the deficit, Biden was trying to present the bulk of his domestic program in a different light, one that might be more easily spun. Manchin, however, just after the State of the Union, more or less dismissed all of what Biden proposed. So not terribly surprising since he was the lead dog in opposing the ideas in the first place, but they don't really seem to be going anywhere now. As an anti-inflation program, Biden's core point is that these policies will reduce the overall cost to the average family by bringing down the cost of child care and prescription drugs, most notably, and also by increasing the wage floor by raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour and through the child tax credit and paid family leave, allowing more women who've been pushed out of the workforce by the pandemic to reenter the workforce and increase family incomes. Of course, none of these the actual principal drivers of inflation. The main drivers of inflation right now are energy cost and used cars over and above almost anything else. Most people around the world are, of course, bracing for higher energy costs due to sanctions on Russia. Biden claimed in the speech he won't let that happen, but we shall see. But conventional wisdom would make it harder to believe that even with best of intentions, that's fully within his control. Biden also tacked on the fact that he will be ordering his regulatory authorities to go after various monopoly corporations for price gouging, also to prevent inflation. So the upshot of what Biden is saying is, if my plan is passed in full, overall cost to live your life will go down and the net result will be more money in your pocket, regardless of inflation in certain sectors like, say, energy continuing. But again, to return to what we stated at the outset, despite the new framing, almost nothing mentioned by Biden seems able to pass. There has been some rumbling that Biden may try to pass elements piece by piece, but that seems hardly more likely to succeed, for the same reason as before. The issue is not the overall size of the Build Back Better package, which was not that significant, but that the ultra-wealthy people who control U.S. politics did not want to pay the higher taxes required to pay for it all, nor allow Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices to free up existing government cash. It was political and ideological, not economic. There is really no better indication of the fact that Biden himself knows none of this will pass than the fact that he excluded every single one of these plans he spent most of his speech talking about from his quote-unquote unity agenda. The things he stated were the ones that, at least he felt, both parties could support. And those things are pretty low-hanging fruit, more assistance to combat the opioid epidemic, improving mental health coverage by requiring insurance companies to offer more robust care, promoting a big increase in research to cure cancer and other chronic illnesses, and protecting children from the machinations of social media companies trying to exploit them. Biden's other big bipartisan applause moment was when he very demonstratively attacked the slogan, defund the police, and said, with a real flair for creativity, fund the police. Biden, like every other critic, could not point to any actual defunding of the police anywhere, which isn't happening. But to the broader point, he doubled down on the idea that the police can solve all problems. 
This was clear when he mentioned the importance of funding non-police methods of decreasing violence, paradoxically. Now, on the one hand, it is good to hear someone at that level confirm what all data shows, that things like violence interruption are extremely effective at reducing shootings and murders without cops in prisons. On the other hand, he mentioned it after saying the country should send more money to the cops. And clearly, these two things are, in fact, mutually exclusive. The whole reason to spend more money on non-police methods of violence prevention is to be able to reduce the scope of policing in society and spend less on the police and have fewer police officers. End of the day, he was just trying to throw a bone to critics of militarized policing by noting things like violence interruption. But at the end of the day, Biden was going out of his way to double down on the idea that the police should have more money and more officers. Biden spent a fairly small amount of time on COVID-19 and honestly didn't really say anything new. He did, however, try to suggest his plan, which is to keep everything open for everyone to go back to work and really not to do much of anything else, is not the same thing as, quote unquote, living with the virus. But in essence, that is, in fact, his plan. And in numerous stories since the end of last year, it's been clear that's what his administration is signaling both openly and through anonymous media quotes. There's more that could be said, but the general gist is undoubtedly clear to you now. The only real bipartisan issues in Congress are more aggressive militarism at home and abroad. The mass opposition from big business to any expanded social safety net is also going to be allowed to rule the day. And on top of that, we all just have to accept more preventable deaths every year from COVID-19 in perpetuity, lest public health measures get in the way of profit making. It's a total surrender by Biden and, by extension, the entire Democratic Party to the most regressive pro-poverty, pro-war forces in the country, waving the white flag to signal there won't be any resistance to the desire to place profit above people at every turn. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.